היה עם זיו ואביב. עיניים שחר ארז. And together we are the generous marriage podcast. And in today's episode of season 2, episode 2, we have an interview with Celeste Hirschman and Daniel Arel, also known as Celeste and Daniel from the Somatica Sex and Relationship Coaching Center. And this is going to be quite different. We're going to talk in a very direct fashion about some way to improve your sex life and to actually talk about sex life is talking about your intimate relationship with your spouse. Is that something that is important for your generosity or for your relationship, Shachar? Yes, very important. It's important for sex. Uh, John Gottman's research shows that uh, people who talk about sex have better sex lives. It's really part of having a great sex life. This is really interesting, like the actual fact that you talk about your sex life with your spouse, that is something that generates more sex and a better sex life. In general, uh, when you have more sex in your life and you reach the level of your needs, then that is uh, like a very generous relationship altogether. There is a specific tool that I'm super excited about, Celeste and Daniel sharing in the interview today. I don't want to ruin the surprise. I think it's really important to hear it in Celeste and Daniel's voices. But uh, what did you think? Was that a surprise for you too about the tool? It's great. It's sexy and hot and easy to use. It's really, really a great tool. And, and I, I can personally testify that just talking about that with my wife managed to kind of change the, the mindset in a way. And it was really interesting. So... We are not going to ruin the surprise for you. Enjoy the interview and we'll see you at the other end. Welcome to the Generous Marriage Podcast. Fight less, feel appreciated, and have a deeper connection with your spouse. And now your hosts, Shachar Erez and Ziv Raviv. Hello, Generous Marriage Podcast. I'm Ziv Raviv. And I'm Shachar Erez. And together we are here again in the Generous Marriage Podcast. And in this episode, we strike again on the topic of sexual relationship, communication around sex. We want for you that you will be able to easily talk about this important topic that affects your relationship and that even affects the level of generosity in your relationship. And it is something that... is being affected by both of you guys. So if you're listening to this as well. And we have decided to talk with some experts about the topic of sex and relationship. And we are very happy to introduce you to Celeste and Daniel, the founders of Somatica Method of Sex and Relationship Coaching, all the way from California. Please join us wherever you are in your car or doing the dishes, just you can shout out, welcome, because that's what I'm going to do. Hello, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. We're excited to be here. Thank you. So uh, Celeste and Daniel, how long have you been working together in the Somatica Method of Sex and Relationship Coaching? We've been working, well, we met each other about 14 years ago. And while we are very different people, we had very similar ideas about how to help people To have better sex and relationships to have more passionate connection and more loving generosity like you said I think generosity is such a good word and let me know if like how important is it sex do you think for relationship is it something that is mandatory is it nice to have what's your opinion on that I want to separate the importance of sex in relationship and the importance of sex to people 
because their relationship can be very well balanced and people have, can have really great relationship, even if they don't have sex in the relationship. But people vary in terms of how much sex they want to have and with whom they want to have that sex. Wow, that's interesting. So you don't think um, sex is like super important for long-term committed relationship, romantic relationship? So I think the truth is that some people uh, really need sex and other people don't need sex as much, right? And so for some people, it's absolutely essential and they would not be in a long-term relationship if it was sexless. And there are happily married couples who don't have sex with each other. What we really believe is that there's no one-size-fits-all approach to life. And what we try to help individuals and couples do is to live their best life based on what their desires and needs are. And so we don't have like an agenda. You must have sex. I think a large portion of society wants to have sex in their relationship and we try to help them have the best sex possible. Yeah, just to add to that, it's also a matter of compatibility because some couples can be together, have less interest in sex and some couples together can have more interest in sex. The challenge is usually when people are not matching. And do you think there's like a few signs that you usually use in order to identify if that is the case? To know whether or not they're matching? Yes. Yeah, so I think a lot of times people start making excuses about why they don't want to have sex, like they're tired and they, sometimes that's true or they're stressed or something like that. But a lot of times people don't want to have sex with their partner because the sex that they're having with their partner is not very interesting to them. And that usually means there might be a lack of compatibility. So we really try to help people find out what is the deeper level of what people are looking for in their sex lives. What do they really want to get out of it? Because they're not going to be very motivated to have it if they're not getting what they want in the experience. Yeah. And you can help them repair that? Like if they're not matching the what should they do there's a chance to exchange them so sometimes we are able to help them rekindle or start from fresh because uh, their sexual connection and sometimes it's not going to be a good match like everything else it is a matter of compatibility and i do want to say that some people many people when they get married or they get together even in any which way at the beginning it's much easier and smoother than it is to maintain a long-term sexual connection because what the ingredients that are working at the beginning, such as there's a lot of hormones that support the process at the beginning, falling in love, chasing, the unknown, dating, there's no distractions. It's all the focus is one-on-one getting that person. So all those hormones really support arousal and turn-on. So they don't, people are not very particular about what turns them on, most people. But as the relationship kind of gets longer and people are going to settle in being together and have other things in the, on the plate, it becomes much more essential to understand everyone's unique interests and templates around sexuality because otherwise people start to get uninterested. I think compatibility can definitely be increased and found in couples and especially if there's this attitude of generosity. We kind of look at it as like each person has their own unique hottest sexual movie, like the thing that really turns them on about sex. And they don't even usually have a conversation about that, right? They just fall into bed and hope that it happens naturally. But if you want sex to be great in long-term relationship, you actually have to have the conversation about what your movie is. And then you have to see if you have vastly different movies, are you willing to be a guest star in your partner's movie? Or is there a way to bridge those movies? And that's what we really help couples do all the time in their sex lives, to have the conversation and to see like, how can we weave that together? Yeah, I love the metaphor of the movie. And it makes a lot of sense. And being a guest 
a guest star or even just a stand in the movie. It's like two different roles, potentially. Let me know, what do you think about how do you initiate the discussion about this movie? So usually when people come to us, they want to fix something in their relationship. So they're willing to talk about everything. You know? And we just bring sex up. to the table, to the conversation right away. If people are trying to do it at home, which is many times what podcasts are for, right? People get inspired and want to do something and try it at home. We invite them to start to look at it as if, hey, let's talk about what kind of movies do you want? That's a good way to start. And we do have a great book that's called Making Love Real that helps people go through the process of the ingredients that you need to cover In order to understand your movie and find out what it is we're also writing a book now that will come out soon we don't know when yet that is really helping the process of uncovering the step-by-step of finding what really turns you on and then how to communicate it with examples and different kinds of touch because it's not only about the idea of the movie people need to be very specific about In order to be able to invite their partners to tell to give them what they want very specific from the way they want their partner to look at them the way they want to touch them what kind of words they want to hear it's not only about sexual acts and how I want my clitoris to be stimulated but it's everything that's around it that creates the atmosphere and the experience and I think it's so important to start with From the beginning which is how do you have a conversation like this because people take their partner's desires so personally and are so afraid of maybe not being able to meet every single one of their desires and so we really create a safe space to have the conversation and a safe space to have that kind of conversation means when you first hear your partner's deepest desires you want to look at them as like this person is sharing something that's so vulnerable and And they are allowing me into a level of intimacy with them that they have never done before. And if I don't treat that with the care and tenderness that it deserves, they might shut right back down and I will never hear anything about it again. So there really needs to be a safe space where you're listening to your partner and you're thinking, okay, their desires are beautiful. I may or may not be able to meet them. I get to have my boundaries. It's not a personal insult to me that they might want something that scares me. Right? I might get scared, but they aren't trying to hurt me. They're just showing me their deepest desires. And then we can negotiate as a couple what we can meet within the context of the relationship, what's comfortable and safe for each one of us. But if there isn't that feeling of like non-judgmental curiosity and openness to your partner's beautiful desires, all is lost. And so we often get couples where they've been fighting about this for a long time and we have to undo a lot of the pain and wounds from people first to, delicately expressing their desire and the other person going, how could you want that? That's horrible. <laughs> so we really, really want to help people have that conversation in a loving, gentle, supportive way. Is there a situation also that you see from your vast experience of helping people have a more meaningful, great sex? Is there a situation where maybe one of the partners don't really know what is their movie? They just don't have a good vision of it. Definitely. Many people don't think about their turn-ons in that way. Culturally, we're not taught to think about their turn-ons that way. I think the most common situation that people don't know exactly what they want is when it is actually very blended with the cultural uh, messages about what's okay to have sex. For example, you know, like whatever's conveyed to us in romantic movies, there's something about like, they're supposed to know exactly what I want. 
So they need to know what it is. And I'm going to just know when it hits it or not. <laughs> you know, there's like a little bit of reluctance to even explore it or even to know where to start because there's something so elusive about the idea of I have a desire. And on top of it, many people connect the feeling of falling in love with the desire. We need to really like start to like take those things apart and help people narrow it down and be very specific. Yeah, there are so many myths around sexuality that really don't support Mm -mm. healthy sex. Like I find that so many couples want sex to just happen organically and spontaneously and they just live two busy lives. One of the best things Danielle said to me once, and it was so true and I never even thought of it. She's like, you know, a date is just planning for sex. There's nothing spontaneous about the sex that happens on a date. Like you get ready, you shower, you shave, you make yourself smell the best that you can. And you're like, I'm going to have sex tonight. But then once you're married, it's just supposed to happen. That's the time when it's least likely to just happen. That's when you really need to make a date for sex. Yes, nice. We talk about it. We mentioned it as love sex, a love dates. Love dates. Love dates. Yeah. So you go to a date night and then you also plan your love date. And that's like just a tactic. Of course, there's other ways to initiate sex. I find my problem is that I forget the script. So I was taught about the movie and a few years passed by and I got busy and life happened and we have three kids. And then I need reminding, all the reminders. I need a director to remind me about my role. Thank you so much for saying it, Ziv. I really appreciate it because I see it a lot with couples that people also take personally when their partner forgets the script or doesn't learn it by heart line by line. (laughs) They take it very personally. And I want to encourage people to keep teaching their partners what turns them on every time, again and again and again. In a funny way, people are not bored of telling their partner how to wash the dishes. <laughs> not bored of telling their partner. They don't get upset about it as much. <laughs> you know, like how many times, right? But they do get upset when they don't, their partner doesn't remember the script. I think it's a big job to remember a script that's not yours. We have our own templates and, it's, and we are excited about them and we slip into them much faster. And to really be attuned with someone else and remember the script is hard. It's not always aligned with our script. So if you are guest starring in someone else's movie, like I think there's like, I want to give people like double the points. <laughs> you know, you get to learn someone's script and then you might need a reminder about the tone of voice and about the way you look and about the volume that you say things and about the softness of the touch and all those things. And it's okay to ask for a reminder as well. How can you do that? Oh, sure. Yeah. I mean, I feel like asking your partner during an experience of sex, like while you're having sex, that's something that it took me a very long time to learn is to actually be able to say something that I want while someone is making love to me. But it's so, if I can say it in a very sexy, sensual way, like, you know, can you tell me how beautiful I look tonight? Or I love it when you touch my hair in that really, really soft way. Remember how much I like being petted or I think I'm ready for my spanking now, you know, whatever it is that, (laughs) whatever it is that, oh, I've been a very bad girl, whatever it is that will coax your partner in a gentle, erotic way into engaging in the things that you want. I think that's the invitation instead of being like, you know, you never do this or why aren't you touching me the way that I told you to? Then it's like, then you just end up in a fight and sex you're probably not going to have sex for the next week. So it doesn't work very well. 
Well, that's a, such a great tip. I love it. And if you are someone who is remembering there's a script but doesn't remember what it is, <laughs> you know, I think it's great for you to come to your partner and say, you know, sweetheart, when, do you remember when you told me that thing about how you want me to look at you? Can you just show me? Because I really want to do it well for you. It <laughs> can be another nice. way too. Yes. Thank you for that. <laughs> <laughs> Um, no, it's huge, you know, because so many partners are used to the partner just kind of scolding them and telling them what's wrong and learning how to do it in a seductive way, in a way that makes them want to come closer. Wow, that's art. That's genius. I want to ask you, from your experience working with couples again and again and again, what do you see as the differences between, if there are like repeatable differences of what men get out of sex and what women get out of sex? Is there a commonality that you see? I don't think there's differences necessarily in what they get out of sex. I think what people really want to get out of sex is to feel a particular way. And that's what we're always diving in and trying to help people understand what is it they want to feel. Do they want to feel adored or precious or demeaned or seduced or desired? You know, there's all of these different ways that people want to feel. And I think men and women both have their particular desires. When we talk, when we ask men and women to write stories about their hottest sexual experiences, however, which we do in our workshops, usually men focus much more on specific sex acts like oral sex or intercourse. And women will talk more about the buildup and the like, the temptation and the teasing and the arousal. And so I think there's a little bit of a difference in language there and a difference in desire in terms of what they're trying to, how they get to feel what they want to feel. But it's not always like that, but there are some gender differences. For example, I do think because men are given more permission for sex culturally and women are given more permission to feel, but being shamed about wanting sex. Many times men, and men at the same time being shamed about having feelings. So men translate many times sexual acts. Instead of saying the feeling that they want to feel, they use a sexual act. So many times I help couples translate it. I just like, yesterday saw a client and he was like talking about how excited he is about getting a blowjob. And I told him, you know, like if you, and he's like coming to his partner and he said like, so are you going to give me a blowjob? And he actually, when we kind of sat and hang out with it, what he actually want to say is like, he didn't want a mechanical blowjob. It wasn't about the orgasm or about the act of blowjob. It was really about, I just want you to know that you desire me so much that you just want to ravish my cock. But he wouldn't say to her, I just want you to see me. That's actually what he wanted, you know? He said, will you give me a blowjob? That's really bad marketing. Because if he would come to her and say, like, you know, when you give me a blowjob, it makes me feel so cherished and seen by you, more likely to get what he wants. And especially because women are really scanning. The biggest threat that women are scanning for sexually because we've been shamed about being desired is that people just want us for sex, but they don't want us for who we are. And so when somebody asks very overtly for a particular sex act instead of something that feels a little bit more deep or, and connected, women will often get turned off and be like, oh, it doesn't even matter that I'm here. They don't want it from me. They just want sex. And I don't even think it's true, but it is sort of a delicate, how does a man approach a woman knowing that is something that she's worried about? I think it's a good thing for men to know that that's something that she's worried about because then you can approach her in a way that's more interpersonal. I think this goes back to the fact that women need 
that connection and it's something that is very important for them. So if you just go and talk about the sex act and there's no real connection underneath, it's just not going to work for them. I think men need the connection too, but women need the reassurance of the connection. Mm, love yes. it. And, and one, otherwise, it feels like objectification. Mm-hmm. So what is it with objectification? What does it do to a woman? Yeah, it makes us feel like any hole would work. It's not really about somebody wants to have sex with Celeste. It's about somebody wants to have sex. Because we've been objectified for our bodies, it makes us less like humanized. And so we want the reassurance of the connection, which says, it does matter to me that I'm making love with you. Couldn't just be anyone. Mm. I hear you. And sometimes in long-term committed relationships, it's actually nice to objectify each other when there's too much safety you know when you get used to each other too much in a way yeah I'm being objectified totally. <laughs> wait, totally. no, wait, wait, wait. Maybe we... go ahead Danielle. and we want to separate between connected objectification and objectification these are two different experiences we know many women including both of us really love to be objectified like really love to be objectified, but I really still want to know that it's about me. So if it's objectification that it feels like I'm just an object for their pleasure, that can be someone's turn on as well. But usually even the people that want that want to hear that it's about them and they're special in some way that they can provide it, even if it is about complete objectification, do whatever you want to do with me right? It's still, they want to feel that they're good at doing that. So there's something about the connected experience that makes the difference and not the objectification. Yeah. Yeah. You just described one of the favorite games that uh, occasionally we play. So (laughs) I want to hear more about that. (laughs) I wish we played it more though. It's the game where, and it happens sometimes where one of the Heroes in the movie will say, okay, and now you can do whatever you want. Now, like, rewrite the script from now on. And when that happens, it's a beautiful movie and it's surprisingly delicious. So, <laughs> so yeah. I want to ask you more about bad marketing situation because I find it quite common that men uh, make that mistake of bad marketing and they turned on by something I don't know, a flick of the hair, the spouse getting undressed or even just life need a lot sometimes to turn on or to think about sex. And then we try to do the marketing gag. We try to make some like the, oh, so I'm getting a blowjob today or something of that sort. And that usually (laughs) doesn't... It's bad marketing. You got it. It's really just bad marketing. It is. Yeah. Because there's an art to marketing. There's an art to, you kind of, there needs to be some seduction in this story. And I get the enthusiasm. I get it. It is exciting when you are turned on. And I think that's a lot, a lot of the problems in bridging between people's desires is first the way that they present the desires and also the difference in how aroused they are in different moments right? Because if one party is just undressing and getting out of the shower and they're not thinking about sex at all, it's going to be very, what's happening now? And how is that related to giving you a blowjob? (laughs) It's just like a big leap. So you want to build it in segments to help bring the idea 
to fruition, yeah. right? And in, like every good marketing, you need to speak in the language of your audience. It kind of sucks. I'm sorry. I wish yeah. it wasn't like that. <laughs> it all goes back to the wedding metaphor in marketing. Like you don't go on the first date and ask your date, hey, do you want to plan for the names of the kids that we're about to have? So you need to ask yourself, am I jumping too fast here? And probably like the best solution is not do the marketing gag because it doesn't work really. You don't want to make a joke about it because that's the opposite of seduction. And, and I do feel like one thing, because men have been given much more permission to have sex, sex is on their mind more often, whereas women have been told that sex is not for them. And so we distance from our desire. And so we often need to be brought into the mood. I mean, I think about sex all the time. I'm much more like a man than a woman, but most women do not. And so there needs to be this sort of like sneaking up on sex a little bit. I think that's what seduction is. And it's like, oh, that's right. It's just like the first thing that a lot of women feel, I think, is like, oh, that's right. I'm a sexual being. Like that, they aren't walking around like that in their day-to-day -day life. And so there's that reminder that they need. And of course, when we work with women, we try to help them know that about themselves all the time. So they're walking around more in their excitement. But that's not how most women have been trained socially. So Wow. So tell us a little bit about the Somatica method and how can people learn more about what you do? Because it looks like you have some manual, some training that can actually help women be more aware how we perceive them. And you can help, obviously you help a lot of men get rid of some marketing that doesn't work. So what do you do and how can people learn about you? Well, I think what's really different about the Somatica method is that it's an experiential method. And so when you come in for a session, we're going to dive right into helping you have a really good conversation about what is it that turns you on. But then we're not just going to talk about it forever. We're actually going to help you teach each other how you want to be seduced. So maybe you're going to learn how to touch in a sensual way or to bring more teasing or to tell your partner sexy things. And within people's comfort, of course, we have people practice those seduction skills in the office so that they can really give feedback and have a non-judgmental environment for the learning process. It is quite difficult to teach your partner at home and without having some kind of expert say like, oh, it looks like you'd really like this kind of touch. Or hmm, when you're kissing, it looks like maybe your partner's sticking their tongue a little bit too deep into your mouth. Is that true? So we can kind of see things and say things that it's much harder for them to say to each other. I'm jealous right now. <laughs> Shachar, why aren't we doing stuff like that? No, I'm just... I am going to, you know, I'm bringing them to Israel to learn. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about your trip. What is it exactly that you're going to do here when you are doing this trip to Israel? Yeah, so we are planning to come to Israel in October of 2019, and hopefully it will be just the first of many other trips to Israel <laughs> where we're going to teach people to really use the somaticum tools to learn about themselves and their sexuality, to learn how to communicate to others what is it that they want and to facilitate this kind of conversation. Eventually, since we are also training coaches, we want to be able to bring the training, the professional training to Israel and be able to train people to bring it to their practices. But even people who don't, what is happening in our training is that we have a good mix of people who do it for personal growth and people who do, do it for professional growth. And it's really wonderful to see those people mixing with each other and like learning those tools. Eventually, 
you need to learn it first for yourself before you can bring it to anyone else out there and help them out. Wonderful. Hey, if people want to learn more about your book, and is there a website they can go to? Yeah, there's two websites. If they're interested in coaching, they can go to celesteanddanielle.com. And if they're interested in the training, the larger training, that's somaticainstitute.com. That's S-O-M-A-T-I-C-A. And we will put all the links, including information about upcoming workshops, no matter where it is in the world. We'll put that inside generousmarriage.com at the show notes of this podcast. We also transcribe everything. So we have some listeners that are reading and they cannot really hear, but we want them to have good sex too. So uh, we will make sure everything is clear and you can just go uh, directly to generousmarriage.com and you will find the information about the upcoming workshops and about the book and about Celeste and Danielle. Thank you so much, Celeste and Danielle, for joining here for a live discussion that is very important for people all over the world to be able to understand the movie concept and to start the dialogue in a generous way and to get rid of bad marketing. You were awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you for having us. It was a pleasure. Yes, thank you so much for being here. This was so much fun. I wish we had three more episodes like this. <laughs> There's such a wealth of great information. Yeah, it felt like we're just scrapping the surface here. And maybe we will do something even live when you're coming to Israel or, or online, just like now, and maybe even a webinar. Who knows? So uh, thank you so much again. And bye-bye. See you next week, guys. Bye. Bye. <laughs> wow, that idea about... The sexual movie is such a clever idea. It just puts things into perspective of like understanding that we each have our own scripts and that it's okay to forget the script of your partner <laughs> even after so many times they explained you the script. And I really love it ever since I've this, uh, like shared, shared this with my wife and asked her permission to forget the script and to ask for her help. In memorizing the script, now she coaches me through memorizing the script, and it's just great. Uh, so hot, huh? That's <laughs> great. No, I love how Celeste and Danielle, they, they're just so hot and clever and make sex such a fun thing to do and have, and so easy. This was a great interview. So I, I'm sure that there's a lot of things that you might think about right now that you need to take away. But there's one thing I want you to take away from this. And it's important in case you're feeling like, well, I'm not sure about what is my, you know, hottest sexual movie. What is it? And, and maybe you even need some help about defining it. Well, what did we prepare for that, Shachar? We prepared a cool tool, really easy to use PDF that will guide you through the steps of finding out and writing down your hottest uh, sexual movie and you can give it to your partner and she or he can do it as well and it's going to be fun and juicy and friendly to use. Go to our website to generousmarriage.com episode two and uh, click on download the bonus, really easy. So this is basically something that will help you even if you have a clear idea of what you like, but there are details and the details matter about certain things like, uh, you know, before and after and, and in between and alternatives and so what. So 
I want you guys to really overcome the fear of maybe defining everything in, in advance or, or what if you don't define the right details or whatnot. Just head over to generousmarriage.com. As Shachar said, just download the bonus material of this episode and you will be having a tool that you can use immediately. In a matter of a minute or two, you will be able to use it, print it. Just uh, remember, it's not safe for work to print this. And then uh, you can work with this <laughs> uh, with your partner uh, in, your, <laughs> in your private time. Uh, guys, next week we have a very special interview. Shachar, can you tell us what's that all about? Yeah, it's Rob Fisher, who's a really great teacher of, uh, of, of Akomi and uh, how to use mindfulness in relationship. He was one of my biggest teachers uh, learning how to do couples counseling. I'm super excited on having him with us. Guys, it's going to blow your minds. The next week's interview is going to give you some ideas that will have the power to really put you into the zone on working on your relationship. See you guys next week on the Generous Marriage Podcast. See you all. Bye.